welcome to Blazepod. It's Monday, 23rd of December. I have a special guest joining me today by popular demand. It's Blades Analytics himself. Hello, Jay. How are you doing, mate? I'm all right, mate. It is an absolute pleasure to be back. It's a pleasure to have you here. And, and what a time to talk about United. We're, we're heading into Christmas, sat fifth in the Premier League table. Who would have thought it? Would, would you have thought it? Did you think this could happen? I'd love to be able to say yes and claim that, but absolutely bloody not. <laughs> I, I can anyone think that that's where we'd be now? It's it's nonsense. It is not. I know. I've um, I just keep looking at the table uh, and just sort of going, what on earth is happening? The the number one United in the country, in case uh, you know, in case we needed that confirming. But there it is in black and white. And I don't know about you, but I actually. I have actually started looking not at teams like Norwich and Villa now and at teams like Spurs and Chelsea and kind of hoping they get a draw. Is that terrible? No, no. This is what football's about, isn't it? There's no point. I get people out there wanting a bit of realism, but if you're not dreaming, what are you you doing supporting football for? Yeah. This is is unreal. It is, and yeah, you've got to to soak it in. I mean, I feel like we say this all the time, you never know... Uh, how 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 long it might be before it gets this good again, and then the team just seems to go another level up a few <laughs> weeks later. And yeah, it's, uh, it is a hard one to process. I mean, uh, are you? Uh, let me just start you with this. I guess do you do you think there's even a slight chance that we get relegated at this stage? Absolutely not. I don't either. I'm like 99 percent sure we're staying up now. I mean, it just it'd have to be historically terrible in the second half of the season, and there's no. There's absolutely no indication that that's going to happen. I mean, we'd need like six first-teamers to get injured for the rest of the season and not to sign anyone else, I think, or something like that. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, these aren't... A few a few of them, I wouldn't say a few of them have been lucky, but, you know, a few of them maybe we've snagged an away win or something somewhere and you think to yourself, OK, we won the game, we battled hard, maybe on another day we don't quite win. But this is, this is far from luck. Yeah. You know, it, 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 the underlying metrics show us around about seventh to ninth best team in the league, which is slightly below where we are now. Probably expected considering our results, which is just, you know, th- this is no shock. We are a top 10 Premier League side and we play like one. And I can't believe I've just said that sentence. It's, well, yeah, I was just about to ask, like, how, how high realistically do you think we can finish this season? I, I mean, realistically, I think we'll probably finish between ninth and 11th. Yeah. Somewhere around that kind of mid-table spot. Because I just, you know, we have got some fixtures upcoming. Uh, you know, City, Liverpool. And then we look, we look at our squad kind of strength on, on soccer stats. You know, how you can go on the table of who you've played home and away in the current kind of standings. And we have got some some tough away days left. Although, quite frankly, I'm not sure that's a problem anymore. <laughs> um, but, I don't, you know, how high can we go? Well, we can finish in the top seven. It's mental, but, isn't it? Why can't we? Because teams above us who are supposed to be above us are faltering. The teams who are supposed to be around us like Wolves were, were as good as. We've proven that. Mm. I just, yeah, why can't we? I, I don't see that there's eight, nine better teams in the league than us at the minute. Yeah, I just think there's such an opportunity this year with so many teams me- like really messing about and having no idea what they're doing and just like spinning yeah. the wheels, basically, like, uh, like Man United, for example. I mean, yeah, Arsenal, a bit of an unknown quantity with Arteta coming in now, but they've, you know, it's taken them half a season to get to this point. Spurs. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen there, that kind of thing. So there's definitely an opportunity to finish ahead of a team like that, which is honestly insane from where we were at the start of the season. Um, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the away record. Uh, uh, there's away games, I suppose. 
so yeah, we're now only the second newly promoted side in English top flight history to avoid defeat in each of their opening nine away league games. And the last one was Burnley in 1947-48. Jesus, yeah, that's that's a lot of football. So it's not just a uh, it's not just a Premier League record anymore. It is an actual top flight record. And yeah, another uh, another game away from home against a, a pretty decent team in Brighton. I think you know they they're definitely um, improved quite significantly from where they were last season. And I mean, a very com- as, as one nil wins go, I think this was pretty comfortable. Do you reckon the same? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I felt so. I mean, there was there were spells of pressure without really many shots of note, wasn't there from Brighton? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, you know, I understand it's another team that have played us in the last four games that are yet, you know, haven't posted an XG of above one. Yeah. We shouldn't have conceded a goal. That's that's been four games in a row now. So this is no fluke. Um, I, I watched Brighton against Palace on the Monday before we played them, mm. and they actually they, they should have won that game three or four nil. They, they tore them apart, didn't they? And particularly they the did. first fifty minutes or so. They did, and they looked fantastic. And I thought to myself, this is going to be a challenge because the one thing that we we aren't great at is if we get moved around out of position because mm. obviously we're so set in the way that we play. But, I mean, they, I know there's this running joke about the off day. Even I posted it yesterday. But they were clearly off it because they were, they were not connecting with passes that were five yarders between each other under no pressure. So they were off it, but it makes you think, why? Yeah. Why were they off it? And it's because they were just harassed everywhere. There was no space for them to play in. Everything they did right against Palace, they couldn't do against us. And teams just cannot figure us out. It's yeah, and it's it's kind of strange, isn't it? Because it's we're not doing anything like um, you know. There's, there's not really a huge mystery about what we do, is it? It's not. Oh, you have to no. you have to watch out for that guy. You can dribble around four players, or you know, it, it's all there. And we've been doing it for three years, so it's just actually stopping it is very very difficult. And that's why we're doing so well, I suppose. I mean, yeah, you mentioned the. Um, you know, lack of chance creation for Brighton. I think that's as our second lowest XG against this season. Um, Palace was the only other one, and yet yeah. to, to do that against the team that do have some good attacking players. I think they were. Se- I think they're seventh in the Premier League um, overall for XG. So a good attack this season. And yeah, as you say, I mean, from from memory, Henderson only made a couple of saves. There was one in the first half where um, they ended up scoring the rebound from an offside position, and then. One in the second half from Connolly, which is pretty straightforward, really, wasn't it, from the edge of the area. But other than that, I never felt in danger in this game at all, even with a 1-0 lead. And even with the uh, the obligatory David McGoldrick missed chances, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty a pretty solid away performance. And I, I don't know about you, but I almost felt in the second half we were kind of okay with them having the ball, because it's like, well, you, you're not getting through our defence oh, yeah. and midfield, so... You can knock it around side to side as much as you want, and then eventually chuck one in the box, and we're going to clear it. So, yeah, never, uh, never felt in any great danger. Um, McBurney starting up front, uh, a rare start for him, really. Uh, he came in for Moose. Um, I missed the Villa game, as uh, as you know, uh, due to birth yep. birth of child. Um, <laughs> so Moose, I think I think I saw you tweet actually before this game that it. It kind of made this this change made sense to you from a sort of freshness point of view in terms of like Musa not maybe not quite as explosive the last couple of games is that uh, is that right? Do you want to just expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I just thought we played a lot of football in a short space of time, mm. uh, and it, this season was always going to catch up with Musa. I mean, he's, he was never going to continue the start he had. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> but you know, he was even he was playing well, not just scoring those goals. And I, I just think you know, for a man to hardly play a 90 minutes in two years to then go and have to play three, four games in the space of a month. It's not going to happen. 
Um, and he just looked a little a little bit heavy-legged when he was running channels and, and the touch wasn't quite as crisp. So mm. every time that Bernie's come on in, in games, even the Newcastle game, you know, he, he had the best chances in that game and they were coming from his threat. It weren't just that we were laying it on for him. It's the fact he's this, you know, big, tall, strong lad and he's good in the air as well. So he's that different option. And I think a, a couple of fans also noted that, you know, despite it, it being potter ball over at Brighton, then they pass everywhere. They still got Lewis Dunk and Dan Byrne. They're still big from set pieces mm. and Webster. So McBurney was always going to help on that front. But I think what, what you saw is the reason McBurney started because he just he didn't give the centre-backs a minute. And yeah. that's where his goals came from. And that's where a lot of the pressure came from because I, I don't know. I keep seeing this opinion out there on Twitter. And again, it's not the greatest barometer because you know small voices are the loudest on Twitter. But... <laughs> It, it, it keep, I keep hearing this, you know, McBurney didn't work hard enough when he was in the team originally, and it, it just it makes me astounded because on Y Scout they, they rank a stat called successful defensive actions, just basically a total of every defensive action that they count. And if you look at the Premier League on all forwards based on their minutes played, McBurney does the most, hmm. more than Goldrick, more than Firmino, more than Mane. McBurney's number one. For me, he's always worked hard. That's never been a problem. The problem is, is can we get enough ball in the box to give him the chances he wants? Yeah. Um, and we didn't really do that on Saturday. He just worked his balls off and, and basically created an opportunity for himself. And it was a great finish. It was a great goal. I mean, it was a pro- like proper centre forward goal that one. It just uh, yeah. you know basically a clearance from Henderson that he. Uh, I think it's Duncan. He, he essentially forces into a, a, a pretty poor header back towards goal. Uh, might, maybe it's Webster actually, because then Dunk I think goes to challenge it, doesn't he? I think it's Webster because Webster messed up in the second half with McGoldrick pressure as well. That's right, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, he's running through on goal and I I just thought um, Dunk's going to throw him off his stride here and just, you know, just basically throw him to the floor in a, in a non-fouling capacity. But no, McBurney holds him off, composes himself, pings it in off the post. A fantastic goal, I thought, from him. Just, as you say, not, not a chance that was laid on for him or anything like that. He made that out of out of almost literally nothing, just a clearance from Henderson. And then five seconds later, through all his own work, he's got it in the back of the net. I mean, what have you kind of made of? I think McBurney, like, he sort of looks quite languid, doesn't he? I think that's possibly where, yeah. that's possibly where some of this uh, he didn't work hard enough stuff comes from. You know, he had that uh, slightly stupid-looking beard at the start of the season, which has kind of been <laughs> reined in a little bit now. Um, you know, socks always rolled down, and he's he's got a slightly unusual frame, I think, for a. For a big centre forward, anyway, you know, quite long, long, slim limbs kind of thing, rather than being a, a proper tank up front. So, yeah, I think I sometimes think that might uh, it might sway a few people's opinion of him. But yeah, what what have you made of uh, his time with United so far? Because uh, obviously we're not spoken for a, a few months, so I'm kind of curious to know, uh, yeah, what your feelings on him are. I mean, it's it's really hard to. I, I guess I guess I I see him in two ways really. I see the football, and then I've saw you kind of bits that you see on social media off the pitch. Mm. I think he, he's he's probably been a challenge in terms of his mindset because he, he's gone from, I mean, he's had a rapid rise when you think about it. You know, he, he was in the Swansea youth team. He got a couple of loans out, a successful one at Barnsley. Swansea had some financial issues. They got relegated, so they had to kind of go to their youth team. He gets his chance. He takes it. And now he's on the biggest money he's ever been on in his life in the biggest league in the world. And he's moved back home as well. So he's obviously from Leeds normally. Um, so I think, you know, there's maybe a... And he admit, I think he alluded to that with Giddings after the game, actually. He said he's adjusted to the intensity of training, hmm. to the pace of the league. He kind of he kind of basically said everything along the lines of, I'm a bit more professional now. Um, you know, because I think Wilder and Nil have often said, when they play the 11-a-sides in training, they expect full-blooded, yeah. full-pace 11-a-side. And if you're not 
at your physical peak, you can't do that. And I think we've seen that's why he went out of the team originally because he wasn't at his physical physical peak. But he looks he looks a different player from when he first came in. Mm. I just he looks a little bit sharper. His movements a little bit quicker. He's, you know, he's not fast. We know that. But I, I think he's a, he's a really good asset because we all saw what Medine gave us last year. And I, and I I think okay, we're never going to sign Gary Medine. But what we've got with McBurney is that physical stature. But he's he, he's got a bit of technical skill as well. He can play a little bit more link-up, play into feet and around corners. And I think he's going to be proved to be a, a good sign. And I think he'll, he'll play a lot of games, starting a lot of games as, as the season wears on, actually. I think mm-hmm. him, I, I will never drop a goal trick, obviously. But I think as we, as we get a bit more confident and maybe try and take games to opposition more, maybe we go one in behind and two up top, like we played in the championship. Yeah, I've um, I've sort of felt a bit sorry for him in terms of the lack of chances he's had when he's actually been on the pitch. I mean, yeah. You know, I know that McGoldrick's skill is getting on on the end of these chances that he's missing. But I mean, you just you just imagine if McBurney had had say half of those, and he's probably he's probably on like eight goals instead of three or something like that. And we're all going, yeah. "Wow, what what a player! What a signing! He has to play every single week." But yeah, so I think that's I think. And then there's the uh, I mean, we had it on Saturday, but the the easy contrast with um, with the bloke in the other team who was very heavily linked with us um, around the time that we signed McBurney was, of course. <laughs> Neil Morpé, who's, who's, who's done really, really well for Brighton. Um, I think, he's, has he got eight goals? I need to just check that, actually. Seven, seven or eight, yeah. Yeah, uh, a few penalties chucked in there, obviously. Um, and he shoots a lot, unlike McBurney as well. He's, uh, I think it was one of the, the most shots in the Premier League or something like that. It was certainly up, up near the top, wasn't he, the, uh, the other week. Um, he's got... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, he's got a high shot out, but although he didn't on Saturday. Well, that's it, yeah. Are we, you know... He's a player I've always thought was uh, was dangerous against us. I mean, I, th- I think I actually said on the last podcast that he always scores against us, but in fact, he's only scored once against us. So I'm not sure where I got that from, but never mind. Um, yeah, this is a, a game where we just really nullified him, I thought, and he just did not have an impact at all apart from flopping to win a free kick and scoring an offside goal. Was Did you think he was going to be a bigger threat, or, or is, this, is he, um, are we the kind of team that he would traditionally struggle against? No, I thought he was. He, he scores against us, as far as I, you know, it always looks dangerous whenever he played for Brentford against us. Mm. Um, you know, he, he scored at Griffin Park when we won three two there. I remember him the first game after the promotion from League One. Um, he was he was a threat. He didn't score that game, but he was a massive threat, and, and probably should have scored two or three. Um, and I, you know, I, I felt as though he was going to be a threat because they kind of service him really well. They look for through balls, they look for kind of cutbacks and, and things. But one shot all game wasn't on target. He only won thirty-eight percent of all of his duels. Um, you know, John Egan would have gone home, emptied his change, and found Neil Morpé in his back pocket. Because <laughs> I, I didn't see him do anything in the game apart from the offside. Got I, I saw nothing, and it was just because he couldn't get any space. He couldn't get any ball into his feet. There was always pressure, always aggression on him. Even if it was the odd foul, you know, it mm. it, it, it was winding him up. It was frustrating him, and I just think that we, we were rock solid, and he had no change out of us. The other guy as well for, for Brighton is Pascal Gross, mm. who's always kind of, for anyone who doesn't know Brighton, he's always kind of one of the leading chance creators in the Premier League outside of the big teams, if you yes. will. Though last year it was him and James Madison at Leicester, you know, well, before Leicester with his top six side. They were the ones who were creating more chances than other players at Arsenal and Chelsea and Spurs. And uh, no shots for Gross, only one key pass, and even that one was just a, a shot from nowhere. It was just, he hardly had a touch of the ball either. I didn't. I honestly didn't think that we gave them anything at all. 
Yeah, I have to say, without knowing masses and masses about Brighton, I mean, I spoke to, um, I had a very knowledgeable guest, Albion Analytics, on the uh, on the pod last week to kind of give a bit of a breakdown. But from what he was saying, um, this game kind of went how I expected it to go because they sound like they're kind of still transitioning between the Chris Hewton team of solid defence but like no attacking threat at all and the Potter one, which is you know quite possession-heavy in their own own third yeah. and middle third, which is, yeah, again, a complete flip from where they were last season. But I, I, I felt that would play into our hands a little bit because from what I've seen this, yeah, from what I've seen this season, we are very, very happy for teams to have the ball along the halfway line. And then as soon as there's a, a poor touch or as soon as they run into a slightly bad position, that's when we spring, we win the ball back and then we're gone quickly. And yeah, that's all right. I didn't lead... We didn't score a goal directly from that kind of play this weekend. But, yeah, I just felt if this is a team that are going to be really patient in possession, then they're not going to create many chances because it will allow us to be in our defensive shape all the time. We all know how great we are defensively anyway. And, yeah, game game essentially went exactly as I... Um, Exactly as I expected it to, I suppose. It's just, uh, yeah, I wish we'd, um, I wish we'd been able to get a couple of more goals. Although, yeah, we we, we sort of did, <laughs> and yeah. I've ruled out yet again. Um, yeah, I just want to quickly cover those off. Actually, uh, it's a two two more goals disallowed by VAR. Now we should say they're both correct. I mean, there's no yep. there's no debate about that. Um, but yeah, yet again, it's it's so frustrating. Like, can't you just rule it out without going to VAR? But particularly the second one, the Jack O'Connell goal. I mean. Oh. I was so far offside. He was about seven or eight yards. I, I don't. Unless why thought, does that? Why did that need time? Yes, wow. it, it seemed to take them a while to decide it as well. I mean, yeah, I don't know if they were just trying to work out if the ball had definitely come off Egan's head, but I mean, you know, you could literally tell that from the first replay. So I'm not sure what that was about. Um, the first one uh, was John Egan from a corner, and this is so unlucky because it basically just flicks his flicks his thigh, then flicks his hand or wrist and deflects into the net. Now, it may well have been going in anyway. There's no way to determine that. But unfortunately, with the handball law, as it is this season, any contact with a hand or arm like that is going to get ruled out, even though it's you know completely accidental and you know there's no way he can get his hand out of the way of it. So, yeah, I thought that was it, it, obviously the correct decision, but so unlucky as well. And properly bailed out their goalkeeper who made an absolute yeah. hash of that. And for the it's... other one that was disallowed as well. Um, did did you think that was handball in real? Like when you watched it, did you have an inkling that that might have been handball? Are we like now it's a legit goal? I think I would say in the past I would have just been going wild celebrating it, but these days you just always if you see any kind of finish that's bumbled in type thing, you just think, oh, if that's hit the arm, it's gone. Hmm. And you just you you know I don't want to get into that debate, but you just you just can't relax on it if you see what I mean. And it is it is unlucky. There's nothing anyone can do, and it is going to be ruled out within the laws of the game, which is ridiculous, because if he was defending that situation, it might not have been a foul. Yeah. Because it's, di- it's different rules for attacking than it is for defending, which is just insanity. But it is what it is. There, there was no, nothing controversial about Saturday, other than the fact VAR is present. It was, they were the, both the correct calls, according to the rules. Yeah, I don't like that humble rule at all. Um, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not a Premier League rule, is it? It's a, an actual... Uh... IFAB rule, I believe. It is. Um, it's just rule. Which, which I think, um, I'm sure I read somewhere that the Premier League are not happy with it in terms of like they, they don't actually like that rule, but which which is very justifiable. I wonder if that gets revisited because I don't know. It's, yeah. just, it's just yet again, it's another thing of like we're working to rule out goals that, you know, we wouldn't really have batted an eyelid at, I don't think, in the past. If, if that goes in, you're like, well, who cares that it you know, touched his hand on the way in. 
No, and I agree with you. And you know, again, without going too far on the VAR debate, I think if you look at O'Connell second, there's a perfect example of what VAR's good at. Yeah. So whether, whether your linesman should have missed it or not, and he shouldn't have missed it because it was a daylight, you know, very very obvious offside. He didn't. He didn't quite catch it. VAR rules it out. Should have been a bit quicker, but VAR rules it out. He's offside. No controversy. Games are not then affected by ridiculous decisions that people have missed. Mm. You know. See, that's the other thing that worries me and I, again I've talked about this at length so I'll not repeat myself too much but Brighton visibly lifted after that second goal was ruled yeah. out uh, and if it's just an offside flag goes up then there is no lift it's just like it's just offside yeah. and the game goes on and you know I, I'm, not a, I'm not I don't really pay attention to like momentum and things like that but I think it is beneficial when your crowd is excited and supporting you and cheering you on and yeah and, and there has to be a psychological impact to that I think it, there's definitely a thing. We saw it against Leicester mm-hmm. um, you know, earlier in the season and it's obviously happened to us a few times. We had it against us at Tottenham but we actually went on and pressed the game and I think we're one of the better teams in the league at dealing with it because it seems to have... I'm not victimised. Other people have had it a lot it, but it has seemed to have happened to us quite a bit where we've been maybe 1-0 up on games or chasing the game and got either an equaliser or gone one ahead and the VAR affects that. So it really does affect the game state because it does lift your players and like you say, it almost changes the narrative. If the flag just goes up and it, it's an offside goal. If anything, it's almost like oh, Brighton got away with one there. Yeah, you know, and the pressure stopped then. Whereas with us, it's oh, okay, all right, here we go. VAR rules it out. Yeah, let's let's press on and go forward. And it, it does. It naturally changes the mentality of the game. It's ridiculous. Well, yeah. never mind. It's it's funny you should say about the uh, the frequency in which it's been happening. So um, I did see this from uh, Dale Johnson at ESPN. Uh, who have you read this? It's like how. Um, how VAR decisions have affected every Premier League club, and it's it's just looking at overturns, I think. And yeah. this was from what's that eight days ago? So it was either I think it might have been after the Villa game. Uh, let me just yep. see that. yeah. So yeah, be after the Villa game. Um, we are basically the most second most penalised team on VAR at that point, and obviously you can add two more to that as well. So it's done on it's just counting times where VAR has changed a decision. And obviously, we had two goals changed this weekend. So we've gone from uh, minus three to minus five, I think, which I believe moves us into the lead as the most the <laughs> most VAR punished of uh, all the Premier League teams. Which, which isn't wrong. They might all be yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. It's just bizarre. If they're right. Yeah, they might all be right decisions. So we can't, you know, that stat is, is, is meaningless without a bit of context. But what, what it does show is it shows we've had the most to deal with. So maybe mentally we're getting, yes. we're up there in the league as being able to deal with it. If you see what I mean, yes, I think absolutely. it did affect us against Leicester. It definitely affected us um, because it was so early in the season; it was so new. But I think you saw on Saturday it did lift Brighton, but we didn't drop off in any way. Um, yeah. You know, we, we didn't panic. We didn't go into the shells. We kept the shape, um, and we kept condensing the pitch and condensing the spaces. So, yeah, I, I think there is maybe something to that in terms of us being able to deal with it, which is no surprise considering the mentality of this team. They just adapt to everything. Yeah, and and the sheer amount of times it keeps happening to us as well. <laughs> I long for a game with a non-contentious decision. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe maybe it'll happen uh, happen on Boxing Day. Um, talking of something else, I hope happens on Boxing Day. <laughs> David McGoldrick, make it happen. He's, he's saving that goal for Boxing Day, isn't he? Surely that can be the only reason for these uh, this particular mischance in this game. That, that's what the chat was after the game, wasn't it? Wilder said he spoke to Didzy and Didzy said, I'm saving it for 30,000, not 3,000. <laughs> that's what he said. That? That's, that's what he said. That's what's been reported, he said, which I just love. And I hope he did say that. And it wasn't, you know, 
because then it shows at least he's having a laugh about it as well. But yeah. I think you could see when he went through his confidence is at an all-time low in front of goal because the, you could almost see the net was getting smaller as he got closer yeah. to it. You know, and it is because if we'll put it this way, McBurney's chance in the first half, one gets it out of his feet, one touch, bang, doesn't try and round the keeper. McGoldrick's trying to round the keeper, and then he's trying to steady himself, and then he's a bit wide, and it's mm. all a bit ball a bit fluffed, which. It's crazy when you think about the rest of his game. He's so crisp and technically clean, um, you know. And it, it, it's just—it's clearly playing on his mind. So he does need to break the duck. But I, he's, I genuinely think he's going to break XG. I actually <laughs> think he's going to break expected goals. I've, I've spoke to someone at Opta about this, and they're like, "We cannot believe what's happening." Yeah. Like, he, more shots on target. He's had the most shots on target in the league without scoring. He's got the highest XG without scoring. He's got yeah. the seventh best XG per ninety in the league. Insane, like, isn't it? There's only like Abraham, Aguero, Vardy above him. Is <laughs> that the, what is he? Sorry, he shots on target 1.33. He's got more shots on target per 90 than Ings, Morpe, Jimenez, Mane. It's just his stats are unreal. He's doing everything but putting it in the net. Yeah, and, and you know, you and I last season spoke about how you know he's he's not a great finisher. He's, he's no. I, I think I think it's fair to say probably at best he's an average finisher. But an average finisher should have scored some goals by now. And, you know, he had that one ruled out against Spurs, which is absolutely nothing to do with him whatsoever, that that was ruled out. But, you know, it still got ruled out. It's, I mean, what do you put this... Is it kind of is it kind of the case that for most other teams, he just wouldn't be in the team at this point? Like, he would have got cut from the team, like, yeah. after, after the first couple of misses. But the fact he's so good means he keeps playing, which means he keeps getting in those great positions and, and all this. But... Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is part from breaking XG. How do you, how do you explain what's happening? Is it just a complete freak that's kind of escalated because of that? You know, the kind of uh, snowball effect of lack of confidence. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I wrote about it last week. I did a piece on kind of Magolgic and why he's almost breaking what the mold of a striker is. I know Firmino's mm. kind of done that, but Firmino has always had goals and assists yes. you know maybe not 30 a season but he's at least got 12-15 a season and at least 10 assists McGoldrick doesn't even directly assist yeah. so there's no, there's, no, there's no goal out or contribution output here what we have is, is basically a wonderfully technically talented footballer who doesn't score or assist and it's you know a lot of people are probably looking outwardly and saying why is he playing Yeah, you know we've got Mousset who's done what he does McBurney's coming in he's threatening and offers something different and it, it, I think it is a snowball now. I think it is a case of his intelligence, his link-up and his movement and his work rate, like you saw on Saturday, it was his work rate that got that chance because he mm. hassled Webster. They're getting him in positions that other strikers in the league aren't because they don't have what he has in all of those areas. But then it just comes down to that, that, that mentality now of it's on his mind. You know, you can see as he went through on Saturday, I was thinking when he went up, as he tried to go around the keeper, I was thinking, no, just hit it on your right foot. Mm. As soon as he got past the defender, one touch out his foot, bang, hit it then, where the keeper's not set, and a confident striker would. Yes. They would have had one touch and hit it, and, and most likely scored. Uh, and he's he's overthinking it, he's trying to overcomplicate it, he's trying to look for the easiest way to tap it in, basically, which mm. is what all strikers will do. But the, the data says that if he gets one, he's going to go on a run. Um, <laughs> and he's accurate with his shooting, but I do think there is a... a I think we said it last year, and I stand by it. There is a technical side of his shooting which isn't quite right. He either scuffs it, or it's it's straight at the keepers. He, he never hits the corners. That's yes. what you look for when, you, if you were to scout a striker without looking at data, you're looking if they can hit the corners of the net on their finishes, and he never does. Um, and it is it's ultimately we've got this wonderfully gifted player who 
may never score a goal, but may contribute to the, our best finish ever, which none of us give a care about, really. It's brilliant. <laughs> very, very nicely put there. Yeah, it occurred to me the other day, Magolji, maybe it's like, I don't know, I almost feel like he sort of um, encountered like a, a genie or something. Is it sort of... <laughs> Like giving it a kind of a cursed wish, it's like I'll, I'll, I'll grant you the powers to be the greatest forward player in the Premier League, but the curse is that you are never allowed to score a goal again. And that's—I I, I mean, at this point, I just can't think of any other explanation. Just like a, a cursed monkey paw type thing. So, yeah, it's—I mean, I, I love McGoldrick. I would pick him every single time. He, I can overlook these missed chances because of everything else. And as you say, yeah, he's. Is absolutely contributing to what will potentially be one of our best ever finishes. Um, but I did have to. I have to ask where where do you think we would be if he'd scored if he'd scored in line with his xG? I mean, it's hard, isn't it, to say how a goal influences a game and what happens after that. But if he scored in line with his xG, we would most likely be. I would say we. I still think we'd be fifth. But it'd be close, but, wouldn't it? So I seven we, goals, basically, what, what we're talking yeah. about. Oh, and when those goals come, I mean, obviously on Saturday, mm. so we got three points. If he scores the second, he keeps us three points. That's what I mean. It's a game you can play, but if you apply some logic, it's hard to say how those goal affects games. There's the Spurs one that definitely did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, 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 there's other ones as well. You just, I, I, I honestly think we'd still be fifth, but we would be much, much closer to Chelsea. Much yeah. closer. Uh, yeah. Like, We'd be on at least uh, probably thirty-two, thirty-three. Po- another three or four more points. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it is an unanswerable one. And as you say, it's you know, I mean, you look at that Spurs one for example. Like let's let's say we equalise. Then it, I mean, what there was like half an hour left, something like that. Maybe then Spurs r- properly rally back and you know come yeah. out as come out as hard for half an hour. We actually end up losing the game. Like you just don't know how that's going to work. But at the same time, seven extra goals for Sheffield United is is never going to be a bad thing. I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's one I was just thinking about earlier. And yeah, you're probably right. I mean, the fact is we've, we've, we've won so many games anyway or, or not lost so many games that, yeah, it, it, it probably wouldn't have given us that many more points, as you say. I mean, oh God, just look at the league table now. Four losses from 18 league games. <laughs> I was, I was I thinking... Sorry, go ahead. I was about to say, on that question, I can only think of the Southampton game where it would have really influenced the result. I think we might have beaten Bournemouth because he missed a couple of ones in that um, right at the start of the season. Yeah, but I think the Southampton one, he missed some sitters and we obviously lost yeah. that game. And, and, and at the start of the season when we weren't quite hitting the form, that was that was what everyone was looking to, I think. Yeah, um, maybe Wolves away, go 2-0 up. Certainly Wolves away, certainly Wolves away. Uh, yeah, a couple of sitters there. But, I, I, you know, recent ones, that one on Saturday, Norwich away as well, he missed some Blazers, but we'd already won that game at that point. So, yeah. it, it, you know, I don't... What I do want is I love how the fans are singing his name after every, yes. every miss it happens because... Again, Twitter's not the greatest barometer, but there is the odd people on Twitter who, oh, what if these chances missed us? I don't care, because when we win, it's not like you're saying it's because of McGoldrick. You know what I mean? It, yeah. you, you, can't, you can't have it both ways, can you? If we're supporting him and saying it's because of what he does when we win, if we then lose and it's him missing the chances, we can't throw that at him. We know what we're getting with him. We know what we don't. And ultimately, yeah. that's why he gets picked. Yes, it, it, I, have, I do find that really uh, really heartening how many fans are like... Yes. Of, a, of a similar point of view to what we just talked about, I suppose. I mean, I think it was before the Newcastle game, uh, just leaving the pub, and uh, before the game, some some bloke just turned to me. He's like, "Oh, have you seen the team?" And uh, and I was thinking, "Oh, he's going to say, oh, thank God they finally dropped that McGoldrick. He never bloody scores." And he's just just basically goes to me, "Well, I don't like us not playing McGoldrick." I was like, "Yes, <laughs> everybody's on board with this." The striker, yeah. that, sorry, the striker a, that doesn't we a, score. We have officially morphed as a fan base now, haven't we? <laughs> 
We absolutely have. Um, all right, just a couple other things to cover off quickly from this Brighton game because I know we're uh, a bit pushed for time today. Uh, Freeman came in, Luke Freeman that is, came in for Fleck who was suspended. Um, I wasn't totally impressed by him. I mean, it's not easy to just be dropped straight into a team when you've not played for, or not started for, I think, maybe 15 games now, something like that, 14, 15 games. What did you, uh, what did you make of his performance? I think I tweeted that before the game when I saw him playing. I wanted him to play because mm-hmm. what we lose, Fleck Freeman can provide. Yes. Um, but it, we didn't play the game that suits him. Mm. He, he is he is naturally a number 10 or a left-sided midfielder. He's not a left-central mid. And he did a, he did the running. He definitely put the legs in. But he needs the football to influence it. You know, he, he is like a Fleck in that, that regard. If we're not giving him the ball to allow him to influence it going forwards, he's not going to look that good. And I actually thought we looked... Brighton pressed harder, but we looked better when Ben Osborne came in there. Yeah, uh, and I actually really liked his performance. Osborne, he didn't do anything noticeable in terms of events, but just the pressure and intensity applied um, to, to the Brighton midfield, to Moy, to Basuma, who actually came on and looked good for them. He, uh, apart from his dive, which was ridiculous, <laughs> he, he, Osborne added a lot of tenacity. And it's, it's again, what it is good to see is maybe the quality might not be there in, in the kind of say reserve players and the kind of squad depth, but the tenacity is and. I think what you'll see is those players we brought in in the summer, that as the season wears on and the training wears on, they'll get more and more used to the role that they're going to be asked to play. Mm. They'll, they'll be able to add when they need to. Um, you know, us missing John Fleck could be a huge thing because of how good he's been. And it, it probably wasn't. Not hugely, we, I didn't think. No. We may be a yard off it. I think with Fleck in the team, we would have had a little bit more possession. But it didn't matter. Because if we're going to play a deep kind of mid to deep lock, then losing Fleck isn't that bad anyway. Mm. Um, you know, I, I just feel as though we've we've got a squad that's beginning to look like it can plug certain holes. Besic won't give us Norwood's range, but he will give us more tenacity and mobility in there, so we have a replacement for Norwood. Um, you know, probably Lundstrom at the minute is the kind of the one you can't replace, to be honest with you, because he makes the most box to box runs. Yeah. He almost, uh, almost got in again in this one. Another great bit of play by uh, McGoldrick when it on the counter attack. Just slid that ball down the side. What a pass that was. On his left foot as well. Right? Yeah. It's around the corner. I mean, it's such an underrated pass. It was absolutely beautiful. But yeah, I thought Lunny was in again. And it, them runs that he makes, I mean, we need to be honest, that's a 60-yard sprint he's making 10 times mm-hmm. a game. Yes. It's absolutely unreal, the work rate that kid's getting through. It really is. Yeah, I mean, he's. Uh, I think he's one of our, our few players on a... Uh, Close to a suspension, isn't he, Lundstrom? Yep. Um, let me just bring that up to double check. So, as it stands, we have uh, Basham, Baldock, Lundstrom, and Norwood on four yellow cards. So, if any of those get a yellow card against, uh, excuse me, against Watford on Boxing Day, not Oxford on Watsing Day, as I almost said, um, then they will miss the next game. But if they don't get booked, then it moves to ten yellow cards. So. Hopefully no yellow cards for them, and uh, and on we go. And yeah, obviously Fleck will be available for selection again as well. Um, all right, mate. Let's uh, let's move to to wrap up. As uh, as I say, I know you're a bit pushed for time. Um, just quickly, where do you? Uh, what areas would you like us to address in the January transfer window? Do you think? Um, do you think it's likely that we'll try and get a couple of players that can go straight into the first team, or are we going to be looking at more depth in certain areas? Because obviously. 28 points on the board. I mean, as you know, as we said right at the top, relegation is a very slim po- uh, probability now. Um, so we should be looking for future seasons rather than, as a lot of teams are going to be doing, trying to salvage this one. So yeah, what, what, just very quickly, what, how do you kind of see that going for us or how would you like it to go? 
I think probably what we'll do is look to bring players in who who maybe squad get minutes this season and then can maybe be first teamers the season after. Mm. If you see what I mean, I think there's no time to to. I think fans sometimes get a little bit misguided where they think that you can bring a player in in January and they can learn a system because you do it in training. Well, mm. you don't. January to May, you don't. The games are that rapid. Even in the Premier League, what you do is in training is you recover, you plan for the opposition. So there's no time to work on the system. So that you know you're bringing a player in in January. It's either because you know they're going to contribute minutes or they're for the season after. I think we'll sign Jack Rodwell. I know he's training with us. I think we will sign him um, just because I think he's a he's a proper Chris Wilder signing. Hmm. Uh, who's you know someone who's who seems to have lost their way? But let's be clear about this: Jack Rodwell had extraordinary talent when he first come through. Um, mm. and, and I I know a good kind of Blackburn kind of analyst fan on Twitter who watched them a lot last year. Jack played centre back for them, and he said he was exceptionally silky on the ball, could pass forwards, could dribble forwards with it. Physicality wise, he was trying to get up to speed, but heard nothing but good about him around the training ground as well. So any of that nonsense you're hearing is not true. Um, and I, I think he'll come in as Basham's kind of cover for right centre-back and then maybe to compete with him in the next 12 months. I would like us to sign I would like us to sign another kind of attacking midfielder. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, Lundstrom's had such a, a, a ridiculous season that it's going to be hard for him to replicate that moving forwards. I'm not saying he won't. I just think it's going to be hard for him to do so because it, it is all about running. It is all about getting on the end of things and, and sometimes that doesn't quite happen. So, I'd like us to find a midfielder out there who could maybe skip by players from the centre. Um, just on that right-hand side as well, off, off of that goal threat so that Lundstrom can, can have rest periods as well and has some competition. Mm. I think ultimately we, we will need to find a Norwood replacement as well, but I think that's probably for the summer, not for now. Yeah. no, I, I don't know why. I always think Norwood's older than he actually is. He's only 28. And if for some reason, I, I keep thinking he's like 30 or something. But yeah, he's in his prime rather than uh, tailing it's, off or anything like that. And he just seems to be getting better as well. Um do you think uh, players like Jared Bowen or um, Eberichi Eze would, would fit into our team? Because I, I think that would I don't know they, they seem like whilst very talented players and you know I'm sure would be able to they'd be able to make it work. But they don't feel like natural fits to our system. Is that fair? Or am I way off? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think Eze's a hard one. I know he's been linked with other big clubs like Spurs, but I think Eze's a really hard one because where do you play him? Yeah, you know, he's not quite a ten because. I'm not sure he slides the ball through and, and knits the game together as R10 would. If you think of a Duffy, mm. um, and I, he's not, he's not a you know he's not a Lundstrom who can play right centre mid because he can't do the defensive stuff yet. So he's a difficult one. Bow, Bowen's an interesting one. Um, he's obviously a winger at Hull, but he inverts so much you could probably play him in a front two actually. Yeah, uh, and he'd probably be fine. But my, my issue with Bowen is, and it sounds ridiculous, I think he is just the goal scorer. I don't mm. think he, there's that much interplay and combination play added. He has got some pace, but he's not fast. He wouldn't be one for me because Hull have a, an option of an extended year there. So you're paying at least 15 to 20 mil to get him out. Mm. I think we can spend that money in other areas. I think up front we're fine. I think we signed Mousset and McBurnay who are good ages to grow with us. Sharp, I think, will naturally probably roll over next year. Um, maybe into kind of playing slash coaching staff. McGoldrick's going to be around for another season. Um, you know, we'll probably will add a forward in the summer when we stay up, but I wouldn't look at that in January. There's enough goals up front and enough kind of variety up front. I think midfield's the area because you know that that's the area where probably injuries are going to occur. Have have we got enough? If Jack O'Connell gets injured as well, he's probably one. Mm. Um, you know, I know Ender can go back there and did last year, but then what do we lose at Ender at left wing back? Absolutely, yeah. 
So I, th- I think either a replacement for Ender there in terms of a backup or a backup for Jack. You know, it's more or less padding the squad out because that first eleven have done everything right. Yeah, for sure. You know that you said uh, when we stay up there as well. I love that. <laughs> I, I just I don't see how we can't. I mean, I, I know data is liable to change as performances go, but any any company out there records expected goals or expected points or any of that kind of nonsense that some people think we're in between seventh and ninth. I just. Yeah. There is, when you look at Villa, was so bad. There is so many worse teams than us in this league. And I know we've got some hard games coming up and we'll likely lose two, three, four in a row. But, you know, they're, they're free hits now because the points are on the board. We are going to win four games between now and May. That's it, exactly. I was just about to say, I just I don't see how we don't win at least three of our last 20 games. I mean, come on. <laughs> if you've yeah, been watching exactly. this season, we're actually really good. That's why we're fifth in the league. Um, so yeah, good good times ahead, I think. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely. Um, I realised this the other day. I've moved from um, you know what what is the I've moved from can we stay up to how high can we finish? Yes, yeah, it's uh, it's it's very much in play. I think to sneak into that top ten and uh, and who knows maybe uh, maybe even stick around the European places a little bit longer and. Yeah, let's uh, just just keep enjoying it while it keeps going. I suppose Watford, Watford with a sneaky couple of results there. They beat Man United, who were abysmal yesterday, and uh, they were a bit unlucky to lose to Liverpool. I thought just going on the highlights, they missed a load of chances. Watford, yeah. so dangerous, uh, a pretty dangerous team for it. Uh, certainly, certainly one of the better worst teams in the yes. Premier League in a little while. I would say, certainly compared to last season. So, not a cakewalk on on the Boxing Day by any stretch, but. Another game we should uh, should get some points from, you'd think. And then, yeah, this this little run of, uh, what is it, Newcastle, Norwich, Villa, Brighton, Watford. If you end up winning, I don't know, say you get three wins and a draw out of that, amazing. Amazing. Yeah, Watford are a weird team. They've When they sacked Javi Garcia early in the season, even though they were bottom, they were like ninth on expected yeah. goal difference. It's, you know... Just got finished. Quit. Yeah, and Troy Deeney was out as well, which is, I know he scored a pen on Saturday, so it's only a pen, but... That you know, he's a big, big physical lump up front. He, he occupies centre halves. They've got a lot of pace. They've got, got a lot of quality in players like Deja Folu as well. Mm. Who's a real? I mean, he destroyed Man United yesterday. Um, and their midfield with Capu and Decore is full of physicalness and class as well. So yeah. they're a really interesting team. I, I do think they're susceptible at the back. I think that's one place they are. I know Pearson's probably going to try and make them a bit more rigid, but I think we'll create chances against them. I, I don't think it'll be like the game down at down at Watford early in the season which was just we hung on there if we're honest yeah I uh, believe Decore is suspended actually I think he got his fifth yellow that's no yeah. bad thing whatsoever no. but they're, they're an interesting team they'll probably pose us a lot of threat because the one thing we still aren't great at just because of the players we have is defending pace in transition hmm. um, you know we, we've dealt with certain players well but you look at that Man United game when they pushed the button and went forward as we struggled with pace so hmm. I think they're, they're kind of fast players up front will, will give us problems but yeah, it's a good chance to get on the, the front foot, isn't it? And, and go for the three points now, because, like you said, the, the points are on the board, so we can attack games now. Yeah, and uh, Didzy, let's get that goal. All I Come want on. for Christmas is David McGoldrick to uh, to break his duck on Boxing Day. Make it happen. That's what we all want. Yes. <laughs> That's what, Jay, where can, uh, where can people check out all your, your many, many output, much work, hardest working guy in football? Where, where would people go to? Uh, at Blades Analytic or underscore analytic as normal. Um, yeah, lots of stuff. Read, enjoy, don't <laughs> be abuse. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, mate. Thanks so much for, uh, for for coming on as a special guest. And uh, I hope you and your family and indeed all the Blades out there 
have a very very good Christmas and uh, yeah we'll uh, we'll have to catch up again soon it's been uh, good to have you back on echo that statement love what you and Panchero are doing keep it up <laughs> all blades have a wonderful Christmas and come on Didzy yes it's, it's gonna I, I'm just gonna have to bet on it I think I feel I feel it's uh, written in the stars that he's, he's gonna do it on Boxing Day and uh, my kneecaps are gonna go through the back <laughs> of the seat in front of me I think and uh, potentially injure myself severely but it'll be worth it I'm looking forward to it nice one buddy uh, let's leave it there then and uh, yeah thanks once again I'll, uh, I'll catch up with you later alright mate see you later Thank you.